0: Hey, welcome back to the Therapists Deserve Abundance podcast show. In today's episode, we will be talking about solo versus group practice for therapists and what you need to know. Let's go ahead and dive in. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Therapists Deserve Abundance Podcast Show. I am your host, Dr. TK, licensed clinical psychologist, abundant psychologist, and therapist business coach. So, in today's episode, I will be comparing solo versus group practice for therapists with things that you want to consider, such as entity structure, payroll, responsibility, and so many more areas. So number one is expenses. And so by far, that was one of the biggest areas of being a previous group practice owner and also still continuing at the 10 year mark this year of 2022 of being a solo private practice owner. I have learned so much about responsibility. So when I say responsibility, what we're looking at in a solo practice is that you're really responsible just for yourself. You're not responsible for anyone else. You may work with a team such as a CPA, tax professional, maybe even a bookkeeper, maybe even some type of lawyer if we're looking at paperwork. Of course, you're malpractice. But outside of that, you're responsible for your own license. You're responsible for getting those continuing educational credits. And in terms of payroll, paying yourself expenses, you're responsible for all of it. Okay. Now on the flip side, if you have a group practice, you are actually responsible for more people. You're responsible for the systems that help those individuals help you run the practice. So for example, in a group practice, some of the responsibilities can differ if you have interns or associates versus licensed therapists. So for associates or interns, because the title does differ from state to state. Associates are known, of course, as individuals who are not licensed yet. And then we have multiple levels within the pre-license arena, such as are they still in school, which means that you have a contract with their school to help them get clinical hours, or are they postgraduate and they're just working on their hours to get licensed from the board, the state. So, With interns and associates, the responsibility is really about supervision, making sure that they have adequate training. Because if you go back to your graduate days, they teach you the basic fundamentals of being a therapist, being a social worker, but they may not show you how to actually do the in live in-person clinical work that they're expecting that we teach the clinicians when they come out of school. And if we can just be fully transparent, majority of our expertise and experience was built from outside of the classroom. So if you choose to hire associates, you have to understand that part of your time, your hours that are allocated in your business will need to be dedicated to supervision and training. And the reason why I'm emphasizing training is that a while ago, I did a podcast episode on what's up with the bare minimum of supervision. And I'll make sure to link that podcast episode below. However, what I was highlighting in that episode was that as a clinical supervisor myself, I realized that after working in different agencies as a contractor, some places were not equipped to even have a mental health program, which means that the person who was over the site was not a mental health provider and they don't have to be, but they also were not interested in the well being and training aspect of the interns because they wanted myself to do the bare minimum for supervision, such as two hours of group supervision. They did not want to allocate hours and payments for me to review documentation, paperwork train the interns or diagnostic you know, tools. They really wanted it to be an all-inclusive, you can do all of this in the two-hour group supervision timeframe. And as a licensed clinical psychologist and supervisor, you and I know that that's not possible, especially with supervising six to eight interns and associates at a time. So make sure that you don't undershoot how many hours is required for you to dedicate time to individuals who are not licensed yet. Now, of course, if they are licensed, you still want to carve out time in a group practice for maybe consultation, right? Maybe you want to carve out time just to get to know one another. In the beginning phases of group practice, maybe you want to pay attention to what they do and don't know because they were trained to maybe do therapy services clearly before they got to your practice, but they were trained by someone else's methodology or the way that they do an intake. But you have your own steps of how you want those therapists to show up in your group practice. So again, try not to undershoot the amount of hours that it is required for you to dedicate to your staff so that they can show up as their best self because they're a reflection of your business. So with responsibility, remember we got two sets, intern and associate, pre-graduate and post-graduate, or licensed professionals. Okay. So the second area that we want to talk about is entity structure. So as a solo private practice, again, you're only responsible for yourself. So you can choose, of course, with consultation with a tax professional and or a CPA and looking at your board requirements, you may choose to initially do just straight up sole proprietorship W-9, which may be okay. And I say may because Disclaimer, I am not a financial fiduciary, I'm not a CPA, I'm not an attorney, I'm not a tax professional. Everything that I share on this channel is coming from my business and clinical and personal experience, okay? So when we think about entity structure, I'll use myself for example, I started off as a W-9, me being in charge of my pay, I would write myself a check. And you know, deposit that into my personal checking. I would track how much money I am paying myself from the business. I don't just zail myself and forget about it because you have to report that income at the end of the year to your tax person or your CPA. Nevertheless, what me and the CPA would do is pay attention to the fluctuation of my income. And when I reached a certain bar in terms of annual income or monthly revenue in my business, that's when my CPA would sit me down and say, hey, I think it's time for you to incorporate or better yet, let's cross over to the group practice. Now you have employees because according to the board of psychology, even if I hire a master's level therapist or a postdoc for the board of psychology, they still have to be a W2 employee, no matter what, it doesn't matter the level of responsibility. It doesn't matter the level of power as it's outlined on the IRS website on the board of psychology website, I, as a psychologist, have to hire them as a W-2 employee. So what does that mean? I have to understand the third area, which is payroll, because entity type and payroll go hand in hand. So I chose to, with the consultation of a CPA, to convert my W-9 practice into a corporation. And there are various types of corporation Definitely talk to your money team. But we chose to go into a corporation. We also had to change the end part of our group to psychological corporation because it was known as professional services, according to the IRS. And then we had to have W-2 employees. I had to run payroll at minimum twice a month in the state of California. They and I had to do various trainings like sexual harassment training. They had to go through a background check. They had to do live scan. There were a few things that we chose for our W-2 employees to go through in terms of onboarding, but then there were certain things that were a requirement based on the state requirement, the board uh, requirements, such as Board of Behavioral Sciences and Board of Psychology, and just a slew of things. So that also helped me understand that as I wanted to expand my business into a group practice, I needed to hire a HR team or company to make sure that I was in adherence or in aligned with the rules for the state of California as an employer. So again, don't just roll out of bed and say, you know what? I want to earn passive income and I want to have interns or licensed therapists in my practice. And you really don't understand what that truly means because you will find yourself in trouble with the IRS and potentially with your CPA. Okay. All right, so the fourth one, which is one of my favorite, is impact. So when we compare solo versus group practice, one of the biggest things that is very clear is that you can reach more clientele. You can serve more people in the community. Um, you can also fall back into more of an administrator role if you're the CEO, if you have a group practice versus a solo practice. So when you look at a solo practice, again, you are it tag, right? So you have to show up for every single session. If you choose to hire, which I hope that you will one day, you don't have to show up for every consultation. You can actually train someone to do that. And that's what we train our therapists to do in the Dope Therapist Academy, which is our signature private practice six-week program. But they get access to a whole lot of other bonuses and benefits in which they learn how to build an operating system so that they can live abundantly and have a profitable private practice. And that's for or pre-licensed and licensed and seasoned mental health providers who do want to start a private practice or who have one, but it's not running like a business. And so with impact, for example, your capacity will max out. You may only be able to, if you're part-time, work five, maybe up to 10, potentially 15 hours in your solo practice. And that may also depend on the type of clients that you choose to see. So for example, when I was seeing teenagers, I can see like five teenagers in a day rolling at a time with a small break in between. But when I look at their family context and who's going to be showing up to drop them off for session, who's going to be available maybe for a conjoint session at the very end, it may be a lot of chaos, a lot of dysfunction, which is depleting as a mental health provider. So I have to be very strategic when I'm scheduling my clients not to schedule too many of those that are going to be more emotionally draining back to back. I may only be able to do two of those. And then the other three of the day, they probably are not my clients who are diagnosed with depression. Those may be clients who are dealing with life transition, going to college, independent living skills, some you know generalized anxiety disorder, but nevertheless, they just show up different. So you have to pay attention to your caseload because you're the one that's showing up. On the flip side, as a group practice, You don't have to see all of those clients. You may also choose to say, you know what? I only want to see adults with this particular diagnosis and I'm going to hire licensed or unlicensed pre-licensed therapists to see these other groups of people because I want a one-stop shop. This is what I did. I wanted a one-stop shop for families. And so I've always seen multiple groups of people such as children, adolescents, couples, families, conjoint therapy. And what I realized over time is that when I had only my solo private practice before the group, I really, really enjoyed seeing teenagers. But part of the work was with their caregivers and or parents. So over time, I recognized that a lot of the parents needed to be seen. So what I chose to do is with the therapists who I had hired, I started to train them to work with the parental unit or couples that came in because I was at my capacity at certain times Or what they want to do, the individual adult therapy with the parents. And then maybe we collectively come together once a month or every other month to do family treatment. So there's a lot of impact that can be made under the roof of your group practice if that's something that you choose. But one myth that I just want to kill right now is that a group practice is not passive income. And the reason why it's not passive income is because in the beginning phases, you will have to onboard team members. You will have to find an HR specialist. You will have to potentially do consultations while training those clinicians to do the consultations. It won't truly become passive until you get to the point where you have a full team that can run your consultations, that can actually train and or supervise the staff. And it doesn't mean that you can't do it, but true passive business owner Activities, CEO activities would be you show up for the things that you love to do. So, for example, in my group practice, it got to the point where even though I had postdocs and licensed therapists, one of those postdocs end up getting licensed while they were in my practice. And I trained them on how to do pretty much everything in the back office. So when it was time for me to initially take off time, um, go on vacation, they were able to run my whole practice while I was gone. I tested it out a few times before I completely handed it over, but this particular clinician started supervising the interns. She had her supervision, CEs, and she was able to take on a lot of the administrative responsibilities, which meant that she decreased her caseload because she had this other level of responsibility. But that gave me the ability to not have to do everything. And that's when I did start to see more passive income with working less while my business earned more. So I really hope that you've enjoyed this podcast show today. We've talked about a lot in terms of comparing solo practice to group practice. One of the biggest things that I want you to take from this is don't just roll out of bed and say, I want to have a private practice for solo purposes, or I want to just expand as a group practice because somebody emailed me and they said they're looking for an internship or somewhere to work. You want to gradually go into various stages of your business so that ideally you are mastering each level and that way you don't have to be making all this money and then you have to stop so that you can go relearn some stuff that you should have been taught or that you should have invested in. the beginning, So if you want to learn more about how to have a profitable private practice from June until mid-August of 2022, we will be hosting the Prosperous Private Practice Bootcamp. Um, We put the link in the show notes and pretty much what that is, is that you will get a designated Facebook group in which I will be coaching you. I will upload a video every single Monday up until August and it will give you actionable steps to taking your business for private practice, whether you have one or not. And then you also, as a bonus, will get a three-part free course in which you will learn how to assess the health of a private practice or your current private practice. You will assess the health of wealth in your business, which means that we're going to be addressing are you truly leaving money on the table? That's probably one of my favorite topics. And then the third area in that three-part free course is you understanding what it truly takes to become a business owner. Now, in August, I will be going live for a week And you will be getting worksheets that go along with that live, but you will also get a actionable workbook that goes along with that three-part course. So you're getting a lot and a ton of value for free. Okay. Let me say that again. For free. It already started. You can go in there and you can catch up, but definitely make sure that you join this boot camp. It is the last boot camp of the year. And I will also be talking about how you can enroll in the Dope Therapist Academy in the late summer, early fall if you want to take your private practice to the next level. I will see you in the next episode. Make sure that you subscribe and leave a comment below about what was the thing that stood out the most about what we talked about today. All right, bye. dot com.